Okay, if I can get you to take your seats, just want to, before we get into Ruth, wanted to just uh, talk about a couple of things. Uh, one of the beauties is that we aren't just this bunch of people who kind of gather together on a Sunday and then don't care about each other throughout the week, but rather we are genuinely a sense of community that we love one another and want to live in each other's lives. And therefore, at different points, it's good to just kind of draw attention to some things that are going on within the community. One is, uh, we'll get to hear a bit more about this next week, but it's great to have Agnes back with us. Um, very good. Agnes will share a little bit about what she's been doing, but at the moment she kind of, uh, we're basically our, our home base at short periods of time while she lives out in Israel, uh, uh, taking care of very, very sick children from other nations in order they can access some medical care within Israel. So we'll get to hear a bit more about that next week. The other one is just uh, another piece of kind of family news, and I'm just scouting the room to see if he is still in here, and we'll see once, I can't see him, but I'm sure he may be somewhere. Um, but is... One of the beauties of who we are as a community, and I genuinely feel this, is that some people think, don't you find it costly? Yeah, of course it's costly, but it's also a beautiful thing of being part of Oasis, is that being in a city means that, like Birmingham, is that you both have people who come and stay within who we are as a community, and also people who come and stay with us as a community for a period of time, and then go off from who we are, carrying something of who we are as an Oasis to wherever they're going next. And therefore, one of the things that we've had to become used to as a community is that part of who we are as a church is that we are both good at saying hello to people, but also really good at saying goodbye. And when we say goodbye, it isn't with a sense of good riddance, but rather a sense of we really love you, we want the best for you. And today, we would normally do this at different points. We normally do this when we have kind of our prayer meetings where it's just a great sense of family together. But just because we haven't got one of those coming up, I really want to make mention of this. It's actually Chris White's. Uh, last Sunday with us. Chris, can you stand for a moment just because everyone was thinking, there is Chris White, isn't he nice? <laughs> Here's the deal, I just wanted to take a moment just to say, Chris, we are genuinely going to miss you. Chris has been around Oasis since he uh, started university at Birmingham University, has then carried on in terms of employment, had a brief spell where he tried to leave Birmingham, but quickly came back because he realised that it is just too good here. He tried to go to Bedford, which is never a good place to go. I, I come from Bedford, so I can say that. Um, but Chris, I want to just really, I guess, get to say on behalf of all of us, thank you for everything that you've poured into us as a community. Thank you for how you've opened your life to us and how you've just sought to live just out of the reality of who you are and allowed us to become part of the journey as you've kind of worked out more and more what is it you're made for and what is it that you really want to do. And I, and I genuinely know that what Chris is going to do in terms of employment is, is literally because he wants to see God's kingdom worked out. And so where he's going is actually positions of influence in terms of planning in how uh, towns, cities are structured. That's what his desire is, in order that uh, justice would be shown through the errors. It's just incredible that we get the privilege of being part of that journey with Chris. But also wanted to just say thank you so much for everything you've added into us as a community. It's in Chris has tirelessly, over the years, given himself to us as a community, often in ways that no one would have known about, but I've noticed, and just want to say a massive thank you. So thank you, Chris. You will be missed, but we really love you and want the best for you as you move on. So thank you. Okay, if you've not been around, we're in this amazing series looking at this amazing story of Ruth, which is just this beautiful story of God intervening for his bigger purposes into 
an ordinary life. And uh, what I find so incredible about this story is it is just very ordinary. It's very ordinary, so then it matches up more with what my life looks like. And you think, man, God, if you can do this in ordinary lives, then you can do it in mine. And it's just this beautiful story. And if you've not been around, where we've got to in this story is just... If you like, this is the previous. Previously in Ruth, there's this, this amazing story where it starts off in utter darkness and despair with total hopelessness of um, death, death, and more death, where you find that there's these two widows that kind of take center stage, Ruth and then her mother-in-law, Naomi. And they return to Naomi's homeland, which is Israel, and uh, go there in order to uh, see if they can find provision because they're living in a season of just having nothing. And what we found is they arrive uh, utterly uh, kind of changed by what's been before. And so you find with Ruth that she's totally committed to her mother-in-law, willing to give up everything for her and seeking to live with God at the center as she does that. And then you find with Naomi that she's just been really burnt by the whole thing. And I get to this point of saying, actually, I'm just completely bitter. And actually, I don't want to be called Naomi anymore. I want to be called Mari because that's who I am. I'm just someone who is bitter. And if you were around last week, what we saw was this moment where everything starts to change. A key moment where Ruth encounters a guy called Boaz, who's a relative of Naomi's, and yet Ruth doesn't know that. And in encountering Boaz, suddenly we start to get hints from the narrator that everything is going to change in Ruth and Naomi's life. As what we discover is actually there's incredible, extravagant kindness that's being revealed by Boaz but also by Ruth. And that kindness that we see being worked out within their lives is also this greater kindness that's continuously being um, revealed and pointed to that we discover in God. And so if we were around last week, what we know is that we found out at the very end, we were kind of left at this cliffhanger moment in terms of the story where Ruth had discovered this guy who'd shown her such incredible kindness wasn't a complete stranger, but was someone Naomi knew called Boaz. And we're going to therefore pick up the story here, because as we saw last week, the, the story is just going to keep picking up pace, and the narrator is going to keep kind of pushing things forward in order to get us to the point of thinking, man, what is going to happen here? How is this going to turn out for, this two, for these two women? How is God going to rescue them in the situation that they're in? And this next bit of the story, we're going to start to see that. As we're going to see within it, it's going to be a slightly unique, odd proposal for marriage that's going to happen. And at one level, it's a slightly unique, odd proposal for marriage. And what we're going to discover is it isn't a model of how anyone should propose marriage. (laughs) And so if you're looking for clues, this one ain't going to be it. Well, if it is, then we can talk a little bit afterwards. But we're going to find there's this unique moment of proposal that's going to be there. But what we can also discover is actually in the kind of literalness of the story... As we found week on week with Ruth, as you scrape or scratch beneath the surface, you find this greater reality and this greater truth that's there that actually will do all of us good, I promise you. And so with that in mind, I want to pick up the story from Ruth chapter 3. And in it, what we'll do is we'll pause at different points just to kind of say, well, this is where we've got to in the story. So Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, start with verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. 
Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I bet it did. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. That is a brilliant question to ask if you're ever in that predicament. Um, it's, the, it's a good first response. Male or female, find someone at the, 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 on your feet. Say, who are you? Um, then get off. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So what we have here, we're going to pause just at this bit of the story is that Naomi reveals that Boaz is a relative. And suddenly Naomi starts to think, remember in chapter one, the very beginning of the story, we realize that Naomi's greatest desire for these daughters-in-law is that they get protection. And then within this society they're living in, in a male-dominated society, that actually the only way for protection is within marriage. And her greatest desire is that therefore they would become married. And so as she finds out that Boaz and Ruth have met, Naomi starts to hatch this plan within her mind and realize that actually maybe the prayer I prayed before could be answered here. Because this isn't any old guy. This is a guy who is a relative. And we're going to discover a bit more about that in, uh, next week. He's a, uh, how does it put it, guardian redeemer which was a God provision for widows of other family members having the potential of taking responsibility for them. And we'll discover a bit more about that next week. But in it, where she, what she does is she then thinks, right, we could hatch a plan here. And so she thinks, okay, this is how it's going to roll out. So she starts to give Ruth some clear instructions of what she's going to do. What would have happened is harvest time. We've seen that week on, week out of their th- or the last two weeks at least, that they've been threshing the wheat and have got to this point where now they need to do something with all of the, the corn they've got. And so they would have taken it to a makeshift shelter at the edge of the field, the threshing floor. This is what this is. It would have been like literally a makeshift shelter where they would have uh, got to a point, a higher point where the wind could blow. And literally they'd wait till the evening because at that point probably the breeze would have been at its best and they'd throw up what they'd gathered and what would happen is the wheat and the chaff would be separated. And the rubbish bit, the chaff, would kind of blow a bit further away so they wouldn't worry about that and the wheat would be a bit nearer and they could gather that and that would be on the threshing floor. And so they'd worked hard all day and in the evening had been dealing with the harvest and at the end of that thought, the guys who'd been harvesting thought, now it's time for a bit of a relaxation. And so they have some food, and they drink, and then they go to sleep. They'd have probably slept at the same venue, one, because it was late at night, but two, because they wanted to protect what they owned. And in that moment, as as they go to sleep, we find that Ruth sees where Boaz is lying. Now, that was probably for a couple of reasons. One was this, that she didn't want to draw attention to what she was about to do. She waits to the evening. She doesn't go up to Boaz in front of everyone else because she doesn't want to cause a scene at this point in time. This has been Naomi's instruction. It's because there's wisdom here. 
in terms of saying, actually, let's make sure this is a moment where actually these two can just talk alone without others making preconceived ideas up or taking assumptions. And so we find that at this point, she goes in the evening. And then what she does is she kind of then takes some action and she pulls the cloth off, off his feet and lies on it. And at that point, we can think about that and think, right, okay, that's a slightly odd thing to do. Why not just give him a bit of a nudge and say, Boaz, it's Ruth here. Are you up for a little bit of a chat? And yet what was happening here is culturally, what she did in this is she was proposing marriage. Because how we find out is actually she, in laying on his feet, she was suddenly saying, actually, this is, I am powerless in myself. I'm now laying myself vulnerably before you. But more than that, what it did is actually practically feet uncovered. I don't know if you've had this at night where you uh, kind of find it's a bit cold and then someone or something kind of causes the quilt to fall off you a bit. And then you realize that you wake up and you think, oh, I feel a bit weird. It's a bit cold. And you realize your feet are no longer under the quilt or the blanket. And it suddenly wakes you up. This is what happened. It gets to midnight and practically that's a bit of a colder part of the evening. And at that point, Boaz awakens to realize that the breeze is blowing and it's on his feet. And more than that, as he wakes up, he realizes not only is there no blanket on his feet, but there's a woman there. Well, he knows there's someone there. At that point, he doesn't know it's a woman. He just says, oh, who's this? Um, now, in it, when Ruth then replies, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. This is an amazing moment. What she's doing is she's saying, this is why I'm here. Because what she's asking him to do in that practical demonstration of spreading the garment over her is saying, would I come under your protection? Would I, could I be your wife? That's the proposal. That's why this is quite a unique proposal. You know, if, you, if you're sneaking an idea thinking, oh, I've got this relationship or there's this person I'm interested in, I know I'll go and propose, I'll wait till they go to bed, sneak in, break into the house, and then I'm going to pull the quilt back, lay on their feet, and then go, Paul, you have quilt over me? My guess is at that point they're going to phone the police. <laughs> and, and, and it ain't going to go well after that point. But, but at this point, Ruth does that and she adds in, you see, Naomi's desire had been to provide her a husband. And what, Naomi, what Ruth does at this point is she goes off script. All Naomi said is, lay there and he'll do the rest. He'll know why you're there. But Ruth kind of says, oh, no, I, I can see there's something bigger at foot here. And so what she does, she not only... That was quite a good play on words, wasn't it? Bigger at foot. Um, there's, that was for you. Um, there's, <laughs> um, let's get back in my head where I am. So yeah, what's, what's going on at this point is that actually she then not only says, this is going to benefit me... <coughs> I want this to benefit everyone. Because when she says, you're the guardian redeemer, suddenly she said, this isn't just about my marriage to you. This is about you taking care of not just me, but the family that I represent. And suddenly Ruth changes the whole picture here. That she's taken something that was just going to be a provision to herself and expands it. Says, no, I want this to be something that's going to bless everyone connected with me, which means Naomi. We continue then. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. 
All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. What happens is that Boaz hears Ruth's request, and it fills his heart with joy. One is it fills his heart with joy because he suddenly thinks, man, I'm getting on, and she's into me. That's the rally of what's being said. And he said, you get about anyone, and yet you're with me. This is pretty cool. However, Boaz, who's just this incredible character, then shares why he'd not taken any action. Because actually, at this point, we could have been saying, and we'll look at next week in terms of a guardian redeemer, actually, if he had a role as a family member to take care of these widows, how come he'd taken no action? Maybe he isn't as good as we thought he was. Well, actually, it's because of this is what he says. It's actually, I, I've, there's another person who's actually more entitled to be taking care of you. And therefore, we need to make sure that is dealt with first. But what he's clear on is that actually her desire for marriage, her desire for everything that that means, is going to be solved. And he's going to be part of that solution. So we continue. Verse 14, So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. <coughs> then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You see, for Naomi, she hears the news of everything that's going on, and suddenly she is transformed from this woman who literally, a couple of bits back in the story, we're saying, I don't want to be known as Naomi anymore. I don't want to be known as the one who's pleasant, who's good. I want to be known as Mari, who's bitter. Because God has dealt with me bitterly. Suddenly, it's all changed. Hope has come. So she hears Boaz's response, and she says, actually, I know we've not got a conclusion yet, but I know that he's true to his word. And I know that this is not going to be finished and he's not going to allow it to be uh, hanging on. This is going to be dealt with within a day. And more than that, I know that he's not going to rest until it is finished with. Now, in it, what it does then is it's kind of the narrator kind of hangs us in that point. It says, okay, where's this going to go then? <laughs> Ruth is definitely getting married, but who's she going to get married to? That's the point at this point. Now, with it, there's another question. A question that actually within this passage you could like look and say, okay, maybe that's all right then. Um, and that is that he, she kind of obviously makes this slightly unique moment of asking for marriage and lies on his feet. And at that point, he then says, great, what do you got to do for the rest of the evening is lie here. Um, now at that point, you could start to think, well, is this Ruth, who's this great character, and Boaz, this great character, suddenly having a moment 
of saying, hey, do you know what? It's all right to be in bed together before we're married. Maybe when it says, come and lie with me, it means more than lie. Maybe it means, come and lie with me. I love it, in Oasis, when you make a sexual innuendo because everyone has this nervous laughter of, I'm not sure if I'm okay with how this is going to go. Um, there's this, this moment that it's, that you look and think, man, is, is it okay? So maybe we're sat there thinking, boy, maybe it is okay. Maybe I'm about to hear the most revolutionary teaching I've ever heard in Oasis and it's going to cause me to think, yes! Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case this morning. What we have here... Actually, when you look at it in context, it's something the narrator wants to be really clear of. This wasn't a moment of Ruth and Boaz suddenly changing tact and saying, actually, let's, let's not be according to how our characters have seemed up to this point, of seeking to live with God at the center and seeking to not live in any level of compromise. Recognizing that God had ordained that sex is to be enjoyed within husband and wife. That what happens here is actually it's a moment of Boaz starting to offer protection. See, what he does is he says, actually, it is nuts at this point in time for you to go off and to traipse in the early or late hour of the night, early hour of the morning, by yourself. That's not a good move. Also, what he does is then say, actually, but it's also going to be up for question if you're then seen leaving, because everyone's then going to think, man, what is going on there? That's also, just as a quick aside, that's always a good thing to say. People always say to me, oh, but is it okay if we're just sharing the room? We're all right. Oh, yeah, but it's never about what you've done. It's always about the appearance and how you're revealing Jesus. That's what you always ask yourself, man. When people look at what I've just done, would there ever be a question in their mind about, all right, so is that what people who follow Jesus is like? And for some of you, you're sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, but Adrian, it's easy for you. You've been married for 19 years. You know, it's totally fine. Oh no, I remember how hard it was. And I tell you what, still being married still means that in every relationship I'm looking, saying actually, I want to ensure that in this moment I don't give a opportunity for people to think, well, how does that work? How come I've just seen you in that position? Not literally coming and just, <laughs> sorry, that was me. I apologize, that was, that was, that was naughty. Um, this, <laughs> the, how can I see you like that? Because that isn't how I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to go red for a moment. And, um, and in it, we have to watch and say, so even in that, I'm saying, actually, no, I want to make sure that actually in every way that I'm conducting myself, people could say, oh, right, okay, this, that's how Jesus is at the center of your life. That doesn't mean that I have it perfect. It means that I own up often and say, do you know what, I, I got that bit wrong. But it means that in my heart's desire to stay, actually, I want to live showing that Jesus is at the center in every decision I'm making. In this one, though, this story, Boaz wants to care for her. And then he wants to make sure there is no kind of accusation that could be made. So he does it in two ways. One is he makes sure she leaves before everyone wakes up. The other thing is he does, he gives her a load of barley. And in that, what it did is it did two things. One is it caused Naomi to know that she who'd felt so empty suddenly was starting to get filled. But it did another practical thing. Is it meant that when Ruth was walking home, she didn't walk with a walk of shame. Because if anyone looked at her, what they saw is a woman who was just coming back from the field with a load of barley. She just looked incredibly industrious. And so Boaz, from this point, was protecting her. 
And I want to, none of this is what I want to preach on this morning. I just feel like it's important to note because I know that this story at this point can be used to fudge other issues. And let's not do that. Let's never allow one tiny story in the Bible to fudge the bigger story of God, which is that we are those who are transformed by who Jesus is. And therefore, we allow his transformation of who we are to then be worked out into every area of our life. So then how are we going to look at this story? Then I want to look at this story briefly, 15 minutes we've got. As I believe, this story not only is about a proposal to marriage, but it's also a story that actually benefits every single one of us in this room because it's a story about rest. See, what you find is that this, is a, this part of the story, this element of the story is sandwiched between this desire for rest. So if we flick through to the next slide, what we find is in verse 1, uh, we find that Naomi says, my daughter, I must find a home. And that word home basically is the word rest. And she's saying, I, I must find rest for you where you will be uh, well provided for. What it reminds us of is this is Naomi, as I'd hinted at, is, is bringing into action her greatest prayer and desire for Ruth. That she would know rest. That in the beginning of uh, chapter 1, verse 9, we say, we find that Naomi prays that may the Lord grant that each of you, that was both the uh, daughters in law at that point, will find rest. And then she applied that rest in the home of another husband. You see, this is a story of the application of what Naomi so desired for Ruth rest. She said, this is how we're going to work out this rest that I so long for for you. And then we find at the very end of this part of the story, it's, why it's a sandwich of rest. The beginning is, this is my desire here. This is how we're going to find this rest for you. We find then at the end of this section of the story, chapter 3, 18, Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. What we find is that the desire now is for Ruth to know rest. And actually, Boaz now is going to be restless until she finds rest. And rest is a, is a word that actually is incredibly meaningful for every single one of us. You see, rest, when we hear that, we think, well, is it just about marriage? No, no, it's way more than that. The rest that's being spoken of here. Rest isn't uh, just something that we think, oh yeah, it's a moment of relaxation. No, it's much deeper there. You see, rest is about two things, about the absence of something and the presence of something. It's about the absence of conflict and the presence of comfort. And the deal is this, and this is why I feel it's important to kind of pitch this in at this moment of our calendar is that we're in midway through July, and at this point, we'll all be starting to think, right, it's the summer, the heat's on, let's just start to relax. Maybe some of us are going to be going on a holiday. And at this point, we start to think maybe the pace changes slightly in order that we can find rest. And it's really important that we see within this that holidays are good, leisure activities are good, all of it's good, but there is a rest that we are to... Uh, find, a rest that we are to discover, a rest that we are to uh, place ourselves in that would do every single one of us good. And there's a want that God wants to do in every single one of us that we would know an absence of conflict and a presence of comfort. You see, we live in a society, and why do I, here you go, here's, what, here's why I think I, I believe all of us will want rest. There's a few reasons. Here's the first one. We live in a society where we treasure busyness. Therefore, everyone, if you earn a lot, you work a lot. If you don't earn enough, you work lots. 
If you are within your life, you're continuously filling it, saying, actually, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And so we live within a culture where actually we prize busyness. And therefore, rest can feel something that's always escaping us and something maybe we go for for two weeks a year. And the rest of it, we just endure. It kind of leads to that sense of we kind of come up for breathing moments. We're kind of underwater. Our life is spent underwater gasping for air. And we kind of come up and we go, nice time in Cornwall. I've gone to Spain. I've gone to Ibiza. Back underwater. We kind of think that, that's how you exist in knowing rest. And it's so important that we understand that rest is something that we're to enjoy the rhythm of throughout our day, throughout our week, and throughout our year. And so in that, I want us to just examine this story, because I think Ruth and Naomi and Boaz beautifully reveal something of how we enter a rhythm of rest within our lives that isn't dictated to just by the time of year. And the first thing we discover is actually, it's all about preparation. You see, find out in the beginning of the story that Ruth had to prepare herself for the rest that she was going to gain in Boaz. So we find in verse 3, wash, uh, the instruction, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. In other words, you're going to make an impression here. There's something you want, and therefore prepare yourself for it. Now, in it, what I'm not saying for us is that we now need to go away, have showers, put on some nice clothes, and put perfume on, because then we're going to get to know some rest. No, it isn't that. What is here is that she was preparing herself for something she wanted. She knew the rest that she so desired was within marriage, and so she made herself, she did all she could to get ready for that. Now, for us, what that looks like is that we have to get to a point of preparing ourselves of where we really are and how we're really doing. That's the point. It isn't that we suddenly think, okay, what I need to do to enter rest is to kind of G myself up a bit and make sure that I'm kind of doing a little bit better than I think I should be and just making sure I'm okay at every level. No, no. The point of preparation is to say, this is where I'm really at now, this moment. And for some of us, it'll be a whole spectrum. We'll find that for some of us, we're feeling, oh, yeah, do you know what? I feel quite rested at the moment. For others of us, we will not feel rested. We will feel very restless. It'll be circumstances that are going on in our lives, uh, both things that are being done to us, things that we're thinking and battling with within our mind, things that we're battling with within our health, and we're just fine. We just feel restless. For others of us, we'll think, well, I, to be honest, I don't really know. I think I'm okay. I'd say when the think you're okay moment, what you do, so you're not either, yes, I feel rested, and I understand the fullness of that, or I feel restless. We're in the okay moment. What we do in that moment is we say, I promise you, take 10 minutes where you are quiet. You're not allowed to look at anything. You're not allowed to watch anything, therefore you're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to listen to music. Just be quiet. And in that 10 minutes, I promise you, it will reveal how rested you are. Because you'll either find in that moment, or you'll find in that moment, what is going on at the moment? And you'll find that suddenly it gets incredibly noisy as things start to rush to your mind, as you realize that you can't but help start to fidget and think, I want to get out of this because this feels incredibly uncomfortable. So the first thing is we prepare. The second thing is position. 
Verse 7 and verse 9 says that Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Verse 9, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. You see, Ruth understood that it wasn't only that she needed to prepare herself for the rest that she wanted. She also uh, had to position herself for it. It means she had to get herself into the place where she knew she could find the rest she so desired. So for her, it meant that she had to go and literally lay herself at the feet of Boaz. Man, that's a pretty submissive act, isn't it? To say, I am completely powerless here. I'm completely at your disposal in this moment. Because what I'm doing is saying, in my powerlessness, to do something about the rest that I so desire. For her, that act of kind of provision, of care. Actually, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lay on your feet. I'm just going to lay there and position myself there. She has that moment of not only just positioning herself in terms of laying, but also positioning herself saying, actually, I want to wait for the right moment. (coughs) I'm not going to wait while everyone's looking. I want to position myself when it's just me and Boaz. I love this this part of the story because it's like the narrator turns the lights out. It turns the lights out so all there is is just this spotlight comes on, Boaz and Ruth. You're suddenly unaware of any other harvesters. There must have been more. Suddenly unaware of them being in the middle of a field. Suddenly aware that the town of Bethlehem is just down the road. You're unaware of that. You're just focused on these two individuals because this is a moment where Ruth has positioned herself to find rest. And for us, having prepared ourselves, having understood how we are, we then have to position ourselves of how we're going to find rest. Because there's things that do us good, and they're not bad things. We can play sport, we can uh, go on holiday, we can read, we can listen to music, we can drink cups of coffee, and all of those things are relaxing. But they're ultimately not going to provide the deepest level of rest that we need. And if we have to position ourselves into the rest of one who is always being, oh, the, the kind of the foreshadowed, revealed through Boaz is this greater one that was to come, who's Jesus. We have to continuously come to him and say, Jesus, you are this greater Boaz. And just as Ruth laid before him and said, I want you to become my rest, we come to Jesus and say, I want you to become my rest. Why? Because he promised it. So you find Matthew 11. It says this, 28 to 30, come to me, this is Jesus speaking, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus' desire is to offer us rest that's for the very core of our being the deepest possible rest that we could ever know. And the question is, will we take him up on the offer? Will we be those that are quick to say, I am powerless. I come and I lay before you, Jesus, and say, I position myself to you because it's in you, Jesus, that I find rest. Because as we get to that point, what it does is it leads us to where Ruth got to is it's these three Ps. So we've got the prepare, we've got position, and then ultimately it leads to a provision. So we find in verse 18, it should be, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. We find that for Boaz, as he sees Ruth laid before him, 
His heart is moved towards her. And suddenly his, her rest is his concern. And we're told that he will not rest until she has found rest. And the truth of the matter, that is our story of salvation. That Jesus became restless in order that we could know rest. You have to look at the cross. The cross is the most unique, eternally shown way of restlessness. We find one who was man but also God completely restless. Restless in terms of the darkness surrounding him. So physically it was dark. You find restless in terms of his brokenness of his body. Restlessness in terms of his abandonment, isolation, separation. So we find that all of his friends have left him. We find that there's this moment he cries out in desperation saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? That moment of utter restlessness was in order that he could declare at the end of it, it's finished. So that once he died, dealing with that one, and then rose again to say, actually now what I've done in this resurrected life is here to offer you rest. We could be those that then could come to him when we so need rest. And say, Jesus, you and you alone uniquely are able to provide it. So it means then that we get to live understanding that our salvation isn't something that just guarantees our afterlife. It's something that's um, transforming us in how we live day to day, causing us to be those that can live in the life that he's able to offer of rest in the face of everything this world has to throw at us that can cause us to become so restless. Which then means that we get to work out understanding that the presence of rest means both the leaving of something and the gaining of something. We flip to the next slide. It means that we get to rest from death in order that we can rest in life. Understanding that death isn't something to fear. Rather, we get to understand that we get to live understanding that now Jesus offers us life and life eternal. We get to rest from isolation, aloneness. Understanding now through Jesus, we're able to know eternal relationship. Understanding that we're loved forever. We get to rest from fear. Understanding that God who created everything loves us and drives out any sense of concern. We get to rest from brokenness because Jesus is able to offer us wholeness. We're able to rest from darkness because he wants to flood our life from light. We get to rest from our wondering about who we are in terms of our identity because he declares that we're now his children. We get to rest from guilt because we get to understand acceptance. We get to rest from a desire to achieve and say, man, if I just do this, because we suddenly get told, actually, we are righteous. We are good enough. We get to rest from our tiredness because we've got one who's able to offer us every comfort we could ever need. We get to rest from our daily concerns because we have this loving Father who knows what we need. We get to rest from spinning plates Because we realize we've got the savior of the whole of the universe on our side. And I think he can take it from here. You speed through it. There are so many others I could add on to this. But the deal is for different ones of us, there are things that we take hold of. We think, actually, I'm going to live from this place. I feel restless because I'm wondering who I am. I feel restless because I'm scared about that. I feel restless I'm not sure how that's going to deal with. And we think, oh, the desire here is I've either got to escape it. But the problem is, if we go on holiday thinking, oh yeah, I'll escape it now, I'm going to go away, we still go. So the problem is, when we go away on holiday, is we're still there. And so all the things that are in here are there in just in a different country. And yes, they're not as immediate, because we think, oh, this is nice, or in this country. We then think, oh, it's still there, and I've still got to go back to it. 
we're offered here is this sense of Jesus wanting to offer us rest that makes sense of every single thing that we face. Not just our eternal status before God, but every single situation we face day in, day out, which means that we get to live in a rhythm of rest. We get to live understanding that we need to continuously prepare ourselves, position ourselves, and remember and receive his provision. And that becomes a rhythm that we use daily. This isn't like something we say, all right, okay, occasionally I will take a retreat moment and receive rest. No, it's like daily. I cannot survive without daily taking moments to say, God, I just work out how am I doing at this point in time. And in this moment, I feel like there's these, these things I'm concerned about. And they can be ranging from um, food to family to you guys to buildings to everything in between. And in that moment, I think, God, I, I can start to feel that my heart is becoming restless. And therefore, I come again to you who's able to offer me rest. And I give this stuff to you and I take what you give me. And I take that list of all those things and start to apply them. And there's passages in Scripture that help me take hold of that. So it's a daily rhythm that we keep doing it. As we find ourselves starting to feel restless, we don't think, okay, this is the stress thing. Get your head down, work harder. No, this is the moment where I step out and say, God, I need your rest. I tell you what, it's when I know the most pressure is when I have to take the most time out. So it becomes a daily rhythm. It becomes a weekly rhythm. Here's this amazing thing God did. Is he created this one day that all of us should take a week. And he said, let's call it a day of rest. And then we kind of jazzed it up and said, let's call it Sabbath. Do you hear me say Sabbath? And we think, well, that's a bit weird. Let's not call it that. No, let's call it a day of rest. That God says, you know what? I created everything. Did it in six days. I don't mind whether you see that as literal or over a period of time. But there's something he's modeling. He says, six occasions, we'll call it. I've created. But then I get to the seventh one. And I say, you know what? I'm going to rest. Because I consider everything is good. You're to do the same. If you do not have a day where you say, today I'm just going to rest and remember how God's got it in control, how God's declared everything's good enough and I get to live within that good, I'd question you and say, please start to relook at that because it will do you good. God set it in to do us good. Work hard, yeah, but rest. And then also there's then not only the daily, weekly, but there's also then a cyclical rhythm that we put in that we call holidays. And in holidays, what we don't do is say, and this is why we do it at this period of time, we don't do it at this point, say, yes, okay, got my bag packed, leave my Bible on the side, kind of going to not be around church for a few weeks, so yep, we'll go there, let's get it. Two, three weeks, one week, I don't know what you're going to go away with. And you get there and you think, and, the back, and you get back and you think, oh, it's good to be here again. I don't feel like I've worshipped for about a week. I had a bit of a holiday from it. Here's a different way to do holidays. How's about we go and enjoy ourselves? Let's, let's eat, let's um, drink, drink respectedly, um, let's kind of enjoy doing sports, let's enjoy time with family, let's do all of that. But at the beginning of all of it, that we say, Jesus, in all I'm about to do, I'm choosing in this moment to lie before you and say, the deepest rest I need is you. And so I want to know moments throughout all of this time of me doing all of these other things where I just get to enjoy what there is to rest in you. And so suddenly it transforms. 
Suddenly that you're going for a walk, and I'll be going for a walk with my family. We'll probably go for a walk along a beach. We'll probably be in the sea. And in that moment, as I'm in the sea, about to catch a bodyboard wave with my kids looking, thinking, have they drowned or not? That in that moment, as I'm there, I'm thinking, God, I thank you for your creation. And I thank you I get to rest knowing you've got this in control. And therefore, in this moment, I get to remember as I enjoy this moment of your creation, that I'm loved by the creator. And that's what feeds me. And I think we'll do it there. Will you live with a rhythm of rest?